0: Some series we preach are deeply theological, doctrinal. Some series we get into are highly practical. How many of you know you need both? This is the highly practical message, but we're very intentional about what we're preaching because if we don't have a high-trust culture, you will not see the kind of transformation and healing that God wants to bring to you and to his people. Um, But here's what I'm hearing, and I want to encourage you all I see this in our life groups, I see it in our discipleship groups, you'll see it at the encounter, you see it at marriage class, you see it at Celebrate Recovery. Everywhere in our culture where people are vulnerable and honest, instead of whitewashing their messes. Can I just say this? Some of you came from church cultures where the whitewashing was a ministry at your church. There were people painting all day long. In fact, before you come to church, you got to whitewash your life so that nobody realizes that you're a broken person. Just take a moment, look at the person next to you, smile at them because they're your friends, just smile at them. But I want you to know as you're smiling at them, they have a history and they have pain and stuff happened in their lives that's really hurtful. And even though you got lipstick on, ladies, I'm talking to the ladies, you got lipstick on. And you look really good. And guys, you cleaned up and you took a shower. Everybody in this room is broken. And uh, the sooner you are able to lay that out in a safe place with trusted friends, that's what opens the door to radical healing and transformation in your life. So, this series is not just a feel good psychological, you know, uh, pep talk series. We're trying to root these principles in Scripture, but these are real Scriptures, all right? Real principles. A little bit of review here. I don't know about you, but I want you to feel carefree when you're in my presence because you know that I care about you, I care about your life, I want to know your story, and I have your back. Can anybody say amen to that, all right? And I, I hope that that's what you want to be to me and to everybody in your life that you care about. So that was the first principle, carelessness. Uh, and acts people that have a carelessness about them, you have access into that person's heart. And I just want to unashamedly say this. I hope you'll give me an all-access card to your heart, and you'll trust me to shepherd you and to pastor you well. Yes. All right? That's what I'm striving for. I'm, stri- I'm, I'm striving to earn your trust so that you give me access into your life so I can be a blessing to you. And I would hope you would say the same to me and to your friends. Second principle was being committed to my good, which deals with the issue of motivation. So, again, why am I doing what I'm doing? I'll tell you why. Because I love the Lord. I want to be faithful to the call of God on my life. And because I love people. Nobody should be pastoring that doesn't like people. But a lot of pastors do pastor because they love the Bible. They don't like people. They love the Bible. But if you don't love the Bible and people, there's something deficient in that situation. So you should be surrounding yourself with people who love you and who are committed. Their motive is to bless you. Remember what Paul said about Timothy, and he's talking about the church. He said, Timothy's unlike most people at church because Timothy actually cares about your good. It's not about him. HE CARES ABOUT THE CHURCH. HE CARES ABOUT THE WELL-BEING OF THE CHURCH. I JUST WANT TO ASK YOU THIS QUESTION. DOES IT BOTHER YOU THAT THE REPUTATION OF THE CHURCH IN AMERICAN CULTURE HAS GONE DOWN THE TOILET? DOES THAT BOTHER YOU? DOES IT BOTHER YOU THAT WE ARE VIEWED AS IRRELEVANT AND IMPOTENT? Does DOES THAT GET UNDER YOUR SKIN A LITTLE BIT? This is the, li- the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for us. And when our reputation in the world is so pathetic, it should bother you yes. if you love the church. And, uh, and it should bother you that people aren't interested in what we got going on on Sunday morning because that's, that's a crime in heaven. I mean, it's terrible. It should break our heart. This should be the most relevant, anointed, powerful gathering on planet Earth. There's more power here than the United Nations. That's not much of a statement. Uh, There's more wisdom here than in all of Congress. Come on. Uh, That's the church of Jesus Christ. So when you are committed to her good... It causes you to live in such a way that you constantly are checking your motives. And you're saying, you know, is, is what I'm saying and what I'm doing for the benefit and the well-being of God's people? And um, so, I just, so we have this phrase again. I'm committed. Sam, I'm committed to your success. And when I say that, it's not cheap talk. I mean, no, you got to back it up. But that's the kind of relationships we should have. That, that should be on our lips here at Living Stones. We're committed to one another's success in Christ. Amen? But let's get to the third point today. And from 1 Chronicles chapter 12, remember this was last week, a little review. David said, If you have come in peace to help me, then we are friends. King James Version says, Then my heart shall be knit into you. What a powerful picture. That's the kind of relationships we want at Living Stones. How many of you can say, you know what? We're committed to each other's success. I'm here for your good. I'm not here for your harm. I'm here for your blessing. I'm not here for, to, to curse you. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to hurt you. And that should be just standard commitment, covenant relationships. I'm here to bless you. But let's go back, and I want to highlight from our text last week another foundational principle of trust. How I many you know David wasn't throwing a birthday party? He was not looking for people to join him uh, just because he was the life of the party. Hey, guys, come with me. We're hanging out in the cave. We're running for our lives. We're going to have a weenie roast tonight. Everybody who wants to come out and be a part of the weenie roast, come along. Everybody is welcome. How I many you know that wasn't it at all? And I want to highlight something that you can almost overlook in this passage, and it's an essential component to trust. Look at what it says in First Chronicles chapter twelve. Verses 1 and 2. I don't think this is in the notes, so don't anybody look on the screen. This is not my notes, but it didn't make the notes. Because I told you my sermons are like, a, a, um, like goulash. I just keep throwing stuff in all week long. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The following men joined David at Ziklag, which was the stronghold where David was ha- hiding out, while he was hiding from Saul, son of Kish. THEY WERE AMONG THE WARRIORS WHO FOUGHT BESIDE DAVID IN BATTLE. ALL OF THEM WERE EXPERT ARCHERS, AND THEY COULD SHOOT ARROWS OR SLING STONES WITH THEIR LEFT HAND AS WELL AS THEIR RIGHT." HOW MANY KNOW THESE GUYS ARE SERIOUS FIGHTERS? DAVID DIDN'T SAY, HEY, Y'ALL COME. That would have been stupid because you're not inviting people when you're running for your life, and you got to have people around you who have skills. What are the skills that you're looking for? Well, can they throw a javelin or a spear with both hands, not just one? Or how many of you know when you look at, at King David with the, the slingshot, right, with, with Goliath, and you think... You know, oh, man, that was just a supernatural happening. God had to guide that stone because, I mean, who can get a slingshot? and? Wh- I mean, have any of you tried to do a slingshot and you're trying to throw it here and it goes like over there? And, or anybody play golf in this room? I can, do, I can do amazing things with a golf club. I can make it shoot out at a 90-degree angle and take three people out. Um, but these guys, the Bible says they could throw a stone within a hair's breadth. So I mean, you know, when David comes out and he starts whipping that, that stone, I read, I read a report from a mili- uh, an Israeli military uh, leader who said that the, the power of those stones with that slingshot, the velocity of that stone would have been about 75 miles an hour. I mean, you know, you get hit in the head with a stone in the forehead, a stone going 75 miles an hour, and the guy's not going, oh, let me whip it out there and see if I hit something. David was skilled. He could hit you in between the eyes with either hand, with a stone at 75 miles an hour. This was warfare. And these were the kind of people that were gathering to David. Remember we said last week Amazai was the leader of the 30. Well, who are the 30? Let me just tell you this. They were bad dudes. You wouldn't want to pick a fight with any of them. In fact, look at what it says next. We read about these men from the tribe of Gad, verse 8, who were experts with both shields and spears, and they were fierce as lions and as swift as deer on the mountains. They could run like you cannot believe, fast, and they were like lions in their demeanor, all right? They were brave. They would run to the battle, not from the battle. Take a look at verse 14. The weakest among them could take on 100 regular troops, and the strongest could take on 1,000. In hand-to-hand combat, we're not talking about blowing up bombs. We're talking about that's the way they fought, hand-to-hand, like, you have to kill me. One of their weakest could take on 100 men and win. So here's the point. You can have people who love you, people who are nice to you, people who care about you, people who have your back, but when it comes to specific things you need done, they have to have competence or you don't trust them. Now, let me flesh this out for you. We're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. When we're talking about competence, we're talking about referring to a person's ability or capacity to get something done. In other words, the person can deliver what you trust them to deliver. They can do what you need them to do. And so you can have someone who understands you. You can have someone with the right motives. You can have someone committed to your success. But here's a question we should ask. Are they competent in what you need them to perform or what you need done? Now, let's pretend I show up at the doctor's office for a heart consultation. All right? And uh, the doctor, by the way, has great bedside manner. He talks to me. He asked me how long I've been having the problems. He asked me about my symptoms. He he genuinely is concerned about me. He cares about my my life story. How I mean, you know that's all good. He's committed to my success. Uh, he's looking out for my back. All of that's good. I find out I need a quadruple bypass. That's the bad news. But the good news, like I said, is my doctor's there for me. But here's the problem. He's never done heart surgery before. But he tells me, "I'm really excited to try." Now, how many of you know at that point, I'm going, I know you like me, and I know you're committed to my success, but there ain't no way you're cutting me open, all right? (laughs) Because you're not going to try it out on me. In other words, I'd like to know you've done this before. I'd like to know that you're competent. So I'm going to create this character today called Mr. Nice Guy, all right? Mr. Nice Guy. Do you all know Mr. Nice Guy? A lot of you Mr. Nice Guys are in this room. There's also Mrs. Nice Gal, but we're not going to get to her this morning. We're just going to make this Mr. Nice Guy. So somebody can be a wonderful, capable person in many ways, but not be somebody that we trust in a specific way. And let me say, having been a pastor now for well over 30 years in the church, I've seen Christians make this mistake a thousand times. Let's talk about this. We come to worship every week with people who are caring. Can I get an amen? Amen. Honest, hard workers, great values, and a host of other incredible attributes to fill out their resume. And so we push the trust button, and we decide we're going to entrust this person with some responsibility or task or project. We're going to put it in their hands. And after all, we not only think this person's a great person, but we like this person. We We go to Culver's after church, and we have a milkshake and fries and a butter burger with these people you know what I'm talking about I mean we've been to Culver's with these people they're great they're in our life group and so when we think something needs to be done we think about this person because we make the mistake that Mr. Nice Guy is actually competent if any of you ever done that no story we're going to have prayer at the altar because some of you have deep wounds about this situation So, so let me let me make it personal all right I think I'm a Mr. Nice Guy for most people. Hope you find me to be nice. Charlie's a little shaky. I'm a nice guy. I already told you, I'm committed to your success. But do not invite me to fix your car or to repair your house. Don't trust me. I'm telling you, don't trust me. If you see me show up at your house with a screwdriver in my hand. Run the other direction as fast as you can because it doesn't matter. Pastor Ron's a nice guy. I had a milkshake with him at Culver's. Who cares? <laughs> Jerry and Brent came driving by my house. I was getting a new roof put on my house, and, and I was getting blessed, all right? The people were doing it at basically for cost, and it was helping them, and they were helping me. And, you know, I felt bad just standing there. People are on my roof sh- scraping shingles off. I'm like, I can, I can scrape a shingle off. So I climbed up on the roof. And then Brent and Jerry drive by in their car, and they're like this. Because I was on the roof. I was straddling the peak of my garage with shorts and flip-flops on. I can't tell you the amount of pain I had in my thighs, all right? And those flip-flops are not made for running around on a roof. And they, all the, it was a sign and honor. They just like almost drove off the road. They're like, is, is that Pastor Ron on the roof with shorts and flip-flops on? I was at least trying to get a suntan out of the deal. You know what I'm saying? They got me off the roof as quickly as possible because I was not helping the situation out at all. My point is simply this. You can't just throw your trust around indiscriminately because if you have something very specific that you need, you better find people that can actually deliver. And so as much as I would like to help you on certain things, like if, if you see a microphone in my hand during worship, tackle me and rip it out of my hand because I will absolutely kill the anointing of the Holy Spirit during the worship time. But I am really good in this corner over here. All of you guys, hey, you guys all be quiet. The anointing is powerful. BECAUSE THE LORD LOVES A CHEERFUL WORSHIPPER, NOT NECESSARILY A TALENTED WORSHIPPER. BUT ANYWAY, I'M DIGRESSING, ALL RIGHT? WE NEED PEOPLE LIKE BEZAEL. WE READ ABOUT HIM IN EXODUS 31. CHECK THIS OUT. THE LORD SAID TO MOSES, LOOK, I'VE SPECIFICALLY CHOSEN BEZAEL, SON OF URI, GRANDSON OF HER, OF THE TRIBE OF JUDAH. I HAVE FILLED HIM WITH THE SPIRIT OF GOD. HOW MANY OF YOU KNOW GOD WANTS TO ANOINT OUR COMPETENCY TO TAKE US TO ANOTHER LEVEL? I just want to say this again. If you can't play piano, most generally, the Holy Spirit's anointing on your life will not turn you into a concert pianist, all right? We learn this naturally. But how many know if you're a concert pianist and you're anointed of the Holy Spirit, you can do things that are stunning? If you're a financial planner and you're trying to figure out uncertain economic times, but you actually pray and you invite the Holy Spirit to anoint you, God can give you direction and insight and cause you to make wise decisions and to rise above your peers. You all understand what I'm saying. Every single one of us in this room has an unfair advantage to the person in the world because we have the Holy Ghost to take us to a whole nother level. So check this out. The Spirit of God comes on him, and look at what the Holy Spirit wants to give us. Wisdom. Anybody need that? Yes. Ability. Expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is skilled at engraving and mounting gemstones and carving wood. Listen to this summary. He is a master at every craft. How many of you know that's the guy you want on your building expansion? Not me. Another funny story. Doug, you might remember this when we were building the kitchen. over over here is brand new. Hey, everybody come out and help. I ended up with a spatula. That's not what it's called. It's not a spatula. That's what you cook with. A trowel. Yeah, it was a metal (laughs) spatula. Thank you, Tim. A trowel. And we were taping and mudding drywall. I've never done that in my whole life. But I'm like, it can't be that hard. So I put the thing up there, and I grabbed some gook, and I, I'm smearing it over it. And there was a guy who was an expert, and he came over, and he looked at my corner piece I just did. And I said, how am I doing? He was very merciful. He said, it's on a little bit thick. <laughs> like, how many of you know when you put, you put that stuff on over the seams, it's like some, THIN, AND THEN YOU SAND IT, AND MINE WAS ABOUT, IT LOOKED LIKE ICING ON A CAKE, A WEDDING CAKE. (laughs) BUT I WANTED TO HELP, BUT MY POINT IS I SHOULD HAVE KNOWN WHERE MY SKILL SET LIES AND WHERE I CAN ACTUALLY BE A HELP. THAT'S WHY, CAN I JUST TELL YOU, THANK GOD AT CHURCH WE DON'T NEED EVERYBODY TO BE A PREACHER. THANK GOD FOR PEOPLE WITH REAL SKILLS. I mean, you fix things. You run wire, conduit. You pour concrete. You put roofs on. Hallelujah, H-V-A-C. Hallelujah for that. Because when it's winter, it doesn't matter how good your pastor can sing or not sing, you need heat in the building. Does this make sense? So the body of Christ is full of incredibly competent people. We're not all competent in the same things, but the Holy Spirit wants to take who you are and use it to be a blessing. Praise God for the diversity and the richness of the body of Christ. All right, now let me say something. I've had many people over the years who have come up and said, Pastor, you know, we have all kinds of businesses represented at Living Stones. Yes, we do. Praise the Lord. Thank God for each of you. And we pray for you that God would prosper you. But then they come up with this idea that sounds good on the surface. Let's do a Living Stones Church business directory. Let everybody know. Let me tell you why that's a terrible idea. I've been there and done that before. Just because you come to Living Stones and you raise your hands during worship and and you, for instance, are an auto mechanic doesn't mean you're a good one. It also doesn't mean you're an honest one just because you go to church. And so what people do is they put the church name on what they do, and then everybody assumes Pastor Ron and team bless that person and they're the best at whatever it is that they do. And then it comes back to bite the pastor you know where because I'm having meetings with people who have dealt with people in the church that maybe weren't the best at what they said that they could do, or maybe they didn't follow through, or it was a mess. And so, you know what? Don't ever ask me for a Living Stones business directory, because some people are not good at what they do. You know, we we also encourage people to run for office here, but that doesn't mean everybody that gets an idea to run for office should run for office or that because they're running for office, we're all going to put yard signs in our yard because there is, like, some competence there. Like, are you a leader? Do you have a skill set? Do you know what you're doing? Like, what is your vision? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So so just to put Livingstone's stamp on it creates all kinds of messes because you need to be wise enough to do your own homework and a man's gifts and reputation uh, precede him and you know whether you can lean on that person to be able to perform what they said they were going to perform. So let me, I've already stepped on a few toes, let's get, get it better right here. Let's talk about relationships, let's talk about Mr. Nice Guy's girl that he's pursuing. All you single girls, I expect this pastor appreciation, what I'm going to share right now, I expect a large gift from you, because I'm going to be saving you from a lot of pain, All right. You determine how large, but large, you know, exceedingly large, because I'm saving you a ton of heartache with what I'm going to say right now. All the ladies, single ladies should be listening. And single guys should be listening. Let's say you're dating this really nice guy. He's honest. He's fun. He makes you laugh all the time. He goes to church. You're totally smitten by this guy. You're head over heels in love. You're ready to hit the trust button. You're going to the altar. You're going to seal the deal. It's already a vision burning in your mind. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have figured out, marriage class every Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, marriage takes more than love? Marriage takes more than love. You definitely want to marry a nice guy, ladies. That's... It's better than a mean, nasty guy. Don't marry them. Nice guys are great. But let me ask you this question. Is he competent in marriage? Like if I asked, is he competent to fix my car, you would go, well, you know, I don't know. He's got any experience there. So, I mean, there is a competency to marriage. All right, let me flesh it out a little bit. I've got to convince you. I'm trying to bring you along here. How about like should it be should a person who's considering marriage have the ability to communicate? It's kinda is that helpful for all of our married folks? By the way, all of our married folks out there you can say, Amen, if you found these things to be helpful. How about this one? You should be able to learn how to resolve conflicts. How about to persevere under stressful times and not quit? How about, like, be a good father to your children? How about to be financially responsible? And I could probably list a 100 other competencies. This doesn't mean you should never get married. It means you should evaluate your readiness because if you don't have these competencies, it's not going to end well. And so, you know, we'll have people call us up. Pastor, on um, can Living songs, one of our pastors uh, marry us? Well, yeah. When are you going to get married? Friday. <laughs> Which Friday? Friday. You mean this Friday? No, we're not going to marry you. Why are we not going to marry you? Because we are more committed to your marital success than you are, obviously. <laughs> So we say, go to marriage class. Well, I don't want to go to marriage. People will spend more time planning their honeymoon for a week than their life forever. So if a person is not willing to develop competencies in their life, if you got to drag Mr. Nice Guy to church, if Mr. Nice Guy, who you want to marry, can't find time on Sunday afternoon for two hours to invest in your relationship, If, if you have no time to spend six sessions in premarital counseling so that you figure out what it is you're about to step into, you might not be ready for marriage. That almost sounds sacrilegious. I'm trying to help a lot of folks out because being in love is not enough and finding a nice guy ain't enough enough. There's got to be some competencies. Thank God you're at a church that teaches you some competencies. Now, Henry Cloud shared something that I wish I would have read earlier because I've already married off many of my family. But he was getting some counsel or asked counsel from a friend of his who kind of had suspicion that the young man was going to meet with him to actually ask him for permission to have his daughter's hand in marriage. And he said, you know, what do I say? if he pops the question, like, hey, do I have a permission to marry your daughter? And this is, this is what Henry Cloud said. He said, well, if he asks for my daughter's hand in marriage, I'll say, hey, that's great. Uh, let's get together again. And when we get together again, could you bring your tax returns from the past two years <laughs> and your credit report? And then we can talk more then. What I want to know is, does he even have his tax returns? and his credit report, and does he have the ability to manage his life in such a competent way that he can even find his tax returns and a document showing how he has managed his commitment to lenders? Because here's the issue. If he cannot be trusted to manage his own life, how can my daughter trust him to manage their life together? That makes an incredible lot of sense to me. Now, please let me say this. I've seen fathers-in-law-to-be who put their son-in-laws-to-be through hell. They expect this young man who's 20, 21 years old to have a deep financial portfolio and all kinds of competencies that he's had no time to develop. Please do not put your future son-in-law through such a ringer that he no longer ever wants to see your face after he marries your daughter and you move to, to Alaska so they never have to be around you. I've seen this happen over over again. In other words, some people have such a high, unrealistic expectation over their son-in-law-to-be that Jesus could not be their son-in-law. I'm not kidding. I dealt with a situation where the guy had like a five-page exam he wanted to give. And I'm like, dude, what are you trying to do? Does this young man have a passion for God? Is he, is he consistent in his pursuit of the Lord? Is he nice? Is he Mr. Nice Guy? That's important. Does he treat your daughter well? Does he have a job? Is he faithful? How is his debt? That's important because when you get married, we move in and all of it becomes one. All of that's important, but how about this? None of this is a deal breaker because by the grace of God, we can grow and change. So if somebody's not quite ready right now, it doesn't mean they're disqualified forever. It means we can mentor them along and get them to a place where they can succeed. But don't have such unrealistic expectations. And ladies, I'll say this too: you know, he just doesn't have the kind of passion for God that I'm I'm looking for. Well, your your expectations are so high. That you're very limiting uh, in terms of what you're looking for. Does he have a genuine walk with God? Then encourage him to be the spiritual leader in your relationship. And make sure he gets surrounded by a lot of great men that can help him. But let me ask you this question. How many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you guys actually were mentored by a godly man about what it looks like to be a spiritual leader in your home, how to lead your wife and your kids spiritually. Most men have never had any of that. There's no course taught in college about that. There's no course taught hardly anywhere about that. You learn that from being around godly men in the church who take you under their wing and show you some things and show you how to do this. And every one of us in this room, if no matter when we came to know Christ, If we're a man, we felt intimidated by that responsibility, did we not? That's a big responsibility. And so don't disqualify people who maybe just aren't quite ready yet. Help them get ready. Amen? Ladies, let me pick on you guys for a little bit. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Here's the question. Why is this woman... More precious than fine jewels. Look at what it says next. Because her husband can trust her. Oh, that is a good one. And she will greatly enrich his life. Ladies, ask yourself this question. If you're uh, in the pursuit of marriage, you got something Mr. Wonderful in your life, ask yourself this question. Can, can, Can this man trust me with his heart? And in the way that I treat him, am I adding value? Am I enriching his life? Because that's what makes you valuable. Look at what it says next. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. What a great practical thing. For those of you that are married, this is a good question to ask for each other. Can you trust your spouse with your heart? Have they been committed to your good? all the days of their life. This, this, this goes both ways, but it's talking about a Proverbs 31 woman here. So in our relationships, we got to get out of the, oh, I think I found my soulmate. I have goosebumps. Oh, my gosh. When we're together, there's no effort. You're in for a rude awakening. <laughs> because it's not about, woo! It's about what kind of competencies do you... How emotionally mature are you how, how deeply committed are you to working at the relationship so you have a great marriage? These are really great questions. And let me, ladies, if you've got to track the guy down to get him to show up at church once every six weeks, run away from that man. Run from him. You can hug me after church. All right, I only got four minutes. Let me just give this example. Mr. Nice Guy can grow and change. How many of you remember the situation with a man in the Bible named John Mark who got invited to go on a short-term missionary trip with Livingstones Church? You guys remember that guy? I'm adding Living Stones, but the rest is true. Acts chapter 15. After some time, Paul and Bar- said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the cities where we previously preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed he wanted to take along John Mark. Look at verse 38. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Their disagreement between two apostles, two men of God, their disagreement was so sharp they separated Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. He traveled on another way. This was Paul's thinking. Why are we taking this guy with us when we had a specific assignment and we trusted him and he failed? I want you to notice a difference, too, in fivefold gifting, all right? The Apostle Paul is obviously apostolic. He's thinking about the mission. He's thinking about what needs to be done, and he's viewing his relationships in terms of mission-centric. Mark failed the mission. We can't trust him. We can't lean on him. Barnabas, on the other hand, is very pastoral. Hey, yes, he failed, but he's a young man, and let's believe in him, and let's invite him with us again, and let's pour into him, because Barnabas said... Young guys that drop the ball can be actually taught how to catch the ball and not fumble. So let's keep believing in him. How many of you know there's differences in gifting in the way we see situations? Some of you, you know, I'm strongly apostolic in my wiring, so I tend to see things on the mission and tend to view people, especially when I was younger, in terms of how do they help the mission. Now that I'm more mature and beat up and dead to my flesh, I've been pastoring for over three decades. I'm more pastoral. (laughs) And whereas before I would say, leave him home. He screwed up. Now I'm like, all right, come along. (laughs) And how many of you know when you look at the whole story, thank God Paul didn't quit on John Mark. Because as it goes full story, John Mark was a great blessing to Paul in his later life. So how many of you know me to say this? Don't burn bridges. Those who have failed you or disappointed you in one season may be your greatest blessing in another season. So while we might not be able to trust them yet for this particular area, I say yet. Everybody say yet. Yet. That means we always believe that people's best days are ahead of them. So while I might not be able to lean on you for this project now, like we've said this before. You know what? This isn't the season for you to lead a life group. Oh, I can't believe that. Why would he say that? Oh, my gosh, you know, Pastor Ron doesn't believe in us. Well, when you look at all the other things going on in your life right now, maybe this isn't the right season. But we don't have one season. We have multiple seasons. And because this is not the right season, it doesn't mean that the next season, when we're wearing flannels, might not be the right season. You guys all hearing this? So, trust people who know you and love you to also be looking through the lens of ability and competency to make sure that before you're entrusted with something, how about this? You're actually set up for success. Now, there's a novel idea. Most ministries grab people and throw them in to ministry based on need. Oh, we got to have someone in the third grade class. Who's got a pulse? Who's breathing? Hey, God's calling you. I'm hearing the Holy Spirit. God's calling you to third graders. And we throw them in there, and it's a terrible situation for the third graders and for that person because they have no competency or passion. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So it's very important that we know each other. And how about this? That you're self-aware. Can I just say something? I'm secure enough. I'm secure enough that when your car breaks down, I could tell you, not the guy. I know you love me. I know you believe in me. I know you think I can do it all. I can't. But here's what I can do. Our car broke down on, oh my God. Our car broke down on vacation. I pumped, I lifted up the hood like men do. And I stood like this. And I kid you not, an angel showed up next to me and said, oh, it looks like your water pump went out. I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) And that guy... He's, I said, do you know anybody in this little town that works on cars? you Are looking for someone with competence? And he looked up and, and about half a block down Little Main Street, a man was walking into a diner. He goes, that man that went to that diner right there, that guy fixed his car. I said, seriously? He said, yeah. He goes, I'll run down and fetch him and see if he can work on your car today. You know what happened? On vacation. I mean, this could be a disaster. We could be spending our vacation in some little town in, somewhere in Alabama that I don't even know. Hey, all you Alabama people, we love Alabama, but that, that, so this little town was not where I want to spend a week of my life with all eight of my kids. Do you know that that car was fixed and we were back on the road and, and all I did was pop the hood and pray. <laughs> all right. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to end with this amazing promise, and then i got to get you out of here. Oh, my gosh. Do you see any competent workers? Proverbs 22, 29. They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. Father, thank you for an anointing upon each of our lives in the area where you have gifted us and skilled us. I pray, Lord, bless our people. May they rise to the top. May their skill sets go off the chart. And, Lord, may you find us faithful in what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great day. If you need prayer, come on down, all right? If you're new, come on down. We want to meet you.